Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Tim Bratz. Tim Bratz is a multi-family master. He does deals all over the country, specializes in the Cleveland, Ohio area. You can find him all over Facebook. You can also find him at cleturnkey.com, where he's got all kinds of opportunities for uh, for different property types of uh, partnerships and deals and turnkey stuff and multifamily stuff. He's gotten, I think, close to 3,000 units just in the last few years. I've uh, watched him for a while now online and uh, spent some time with him, done some trainings with him. He's helped me out a lot over the last year, year and a half. Great guy, extremely savvy real estate investor, doing big things out there. Look him up. I really appreciate him doing the podcast. It was a great interview. He gave tons and tons of value, and I could not appreciate it more. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. Tim Bratz. Also check out nicknicknick.com for podcast updates, property updates, and all kinds of other good stuff. Tim Bratz. All right. I am here with Mr. Tim Bratz, B-R-A-T-Z. He is a commercial real estate investor. He is one of the most active commercial real estate investors I've seen. Uh, His social media game is absolutely A-plus top-notch. Uh, expert in raising money, um, private money, investing nationally, delegating, running a business, great mindset stuff. Uh, you're pretty much a catch-all of everything. That's why I was really excited to talk to you. I really, really appreciate you getting on. Um, I literally learn stuff from you every time I hear you talk, every time I watch you post, every time you send me an email. I learn more and more. I catch more and more stuff. And uh, I'm just very impressed by you. So I really appreciate you getting on with me and, and having this conversation. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me. Excited, uh, you know, to to be on the show. Excited to share as much value as I possibly can. Always awesome uh, connecting with you. So appreciate the relationship we built over the past year or so. Yeah, definitely, man. I'm looking forward to to getting things moving along a little further too. Um, One of the the first things I wanted to start talking about was you really started doing stuff differently that I found you first because you were doing a Facebook Live from a basketball game and you were going around doing your takeaways. Yeah. What's this guy doing? And then I was listening to what people say. And I see people do that sometimes. And usually it's the same old thing of, of just real estate and the same stuff you read out of books. But all the people that you had there, I just thought it was so crazy that everything was based on non-real estate people. And that was like the biggest thing. And I was like, holy crap, like that's genius. Every day I'm talking to people that are doing the same thing. And you were mm-hmm. the first person that I saw thinking outside the box and bringing in people that were not part of that realm. And I was like, Man, that's genius. I love that you did that. And just the casualness of it, just the vibe of it was was really awesome. Where did you get the inspiration to start doing that? How did that all come together? Yeah, man. So great question. So I had season tickets to the Cavs when we had LeBron James. And um, I got an email from my sweet guy once, uh, like two years ago. And he said, hey, man, I got uh, one more suite left for the Eastern Conference Finals. Do you want to come out and, and uh, rent the suite? And I was like, how much is it? And he said, $30,000. I was like, are you out of your friggin' mind, dude? I'm not going to pay 30 Gs for a basketball game. And then uh, I delete the email and then I sat there in my office, like right in the seat where I'm talking to you from. And I'm like, dude, that's what a poor person would say. That's what somebody with a broke mindset would say. And so I was like, 
instead of telling myself I can't do something, what if I asked a question, how could I do something? You know, I, I realized that in life, if you ask better questions, you start getting better answers. And if you ask great questions, you get great answers. You ask the best questions, you get the best answers. And so I turned this into like a business expense. And then more importantly, how can I get other people to pay for this life experience? And I, and I went down the road of like, what if I threw a mastermind, just a one day mastermind, I invite out a bunch of business people and we, we go out and, um, uh, you know, get a ton of value throughout the day of business insight and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And then I marry it up with an awesome life experience and, can I do, I think I can get 15 people to pay two grand a piece. I think I could probably do that. Let me, let me make some phone calls. So I sent out seven text messages actually. And I got seven for seven. Everybody said, yes, absolutely. I'm hundred percent in. And so I was like, screw it. So I put the, I put the thing on my credit card a couple of years ago. And then I booked up the last, you know, the, the total of 15 seats. And some of them were entrepreneurs. Some of them were business owners. Some of them were real estate professionals, but I didn't want all real estate professionals. Cause when you get in a room of all real estate professionals, all they talk about is real estate and that's, and I wanted other insights. So I, I made sure that I had an attorney on board. I made sure I had a CPA coming out. I made sure I had a contractor. I made sure I had a property manager. I made like from different fields inside real estate. And then also a couple of just general entrepreneurs who made money elsewhere that didn't know how to then get their money put in play. They, they were really good at making money, but not making their money work for them. And I had them come out because I realized that we could help put their money in play and it would help build credibility amongst real estate, real estate investments by them being sitting in the room too. So, um, invite all these people out, you know, there, there was one guy I've known him for since I was in high school. Uh, he's a, he's a, an attorney, a business attorney, did a bunch of business law stuff with me. He was my business attorney for a long time and has access to this ethnic community to raise a lot of money, but never did. Cause he never was like sold on real estate comes out, comes to my event. We have a great time. Uh, first of all, first of all, you know, we go out, Cavs win the game. It was an amazing experience. But then what came from that is I wholesaled a deal, a single family house when I was still doing single family back then and made 20 G's on that. Cause I had that mastermind from somebody that was in the mastermind group. And then the CPA, or I'm sorry, the, the attorney that was in the room also comes up to me. He's like, dude, I think I can raise money. Bring me your next deal. I bring him a deal. He raises $700,000 within 30 days of, of that mastermind happening. And then did another one. Did, he's raised millions of dollars for me in the past 24 months, um, all because of that mastermind. And so it's all because I, I asked myself good questions versus telling myself no, and it just shuts off your creative juices. So, um, I've been doing those masterminds on a quarterly basis since then. And sometimes they're real estate specific. Cause I like still developing deeper relationships with some of the movers and shakers in town in real estate. But a lot of times it's just general entrepreneurship and general business. And, and then I'm the real estate guy in the room. So I'm, I have instant credibility in this edification built in because I'm the one who gathered all these sharp business owners. And I, and because, um, I'm the real estate guy, if they ever want to go invest in real estate, who are they going to come to? They're going to, they're going to, you know, connect with me because they feel more, most comfortable with me. They know where my mindset is. And, uh, they understand my business cause they spent an entire day talking about it with me. So it's, uh, it's opened up a ton of doors, man. And I think really it's been a key to raising a boatload of private money and, um, just developing myself as an entrepreneur, you know, and just leveling up. Cause every, every time you get to another level as a real, or as an entrepreneur, there's another level of problems you got to go through too. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's been, uh, it's been huge in helping me push through all those things. Whenever anybody asks me, you know, what's the, one thing you wish you did, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago when you were first getting started, I was like, dude, I wish I would have joined a mastermind and then, you know, started a mastermind of my own from it. 
That's awesome, man. I love that. And I love the fact that you just thought about it and just did it where other people, the first thing they'll do is, hey, we should start a mastermind. And it goes into, well, you know, all these problems. Yeah. That was one of the biggest things, like you said, when you switched and you just kind of said, I have to look at the solution based. I can't tell you how many, I can't, you probably do the same thing. But when you mention things to people, their first reaction is always, you can't do that. And I don't know where that comes from. And especially with real estate, I was just talking to somebody that most businesses are designed to fail. Most of them, like the startups, but you go tell somebody in your life, hey, I'm going to go open a coffee shop or a food truck. And they're like, oh my God, Tim, let's go celebrate. I'm so proud of you. You're so brave. Yeah. But you go, I'm getting into real estate investing, which has been tried and true and tested better than any other business. And people are like, oh, I wouldn't do that. It's dangerous. It's a scam. Yeah. Like, don't give your money to that guy. It's, it's just yeah. it's so backwards from people that really don't even have any background. I don't yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it goes back to like, the age old, I don't know if you ever read the book, um, the richest man in Babylon, but it's like, why would you borrow money to go and invest in gems from the shoemaker? You know, like, like with the shoemaker, like, why would you go, this guy doesn't know anything about gems. He doesn't know anything about mining. He doesn't know anything about what's real, what's not real. And then all of a sudden you're going to go invest in with somebody who doesn't, who's not familiar with that. That's why people usually have a bad sentiment about real estate or, or any, any investment or any business because they've gotten burned because they invested with somebody who didn't know what the hell they were doing. You know, like, like I would never go and try to open up a restaurant myself. Cause I would fail at opening up a restaurant. If I ever wanted to open up a restaurant, I would partner with the best restaurateur in town, bring money to them, bring value to them in some capacity and then partner in, in, in that regard. Right. Um, versus trying to do it myself. I know I'm going to get kicked in the teeth. Like this is in anything, in any business you need, what, what's the, what's the saying? 10,000 hours before you're a master at anything. And so, I mean, that's, that's 10 years, essentially. Like you have to be working full time day, day and night, um, for 10 years in order to master any sort of skill. And, um, and that's absolutely the case. You know, I've been doing real estate for whatever, 12 years now. And, and a lot of real estate, you know, a lot of volume and a lot of time being spent in it. So although I'm, I'm decently young, I'm 33 years old, I've done more transactions and have had, have had more experience than somebody who's been doing it for 40 years. And I know I'm way past that 10,000 hour threshold. And so I feel super confident in the deals that I bring to the table. And I think that's then conveyed once you have that amount of, of confidence in your project and in your company and in, uh, in yourself when you're going out and raising money, that's a, that's a big deal. People want to know that you have the fortitude to make shit happen and get things done. And if shit does hit the fan, like it did in 2008, 2009, do you have the fortitude to repay them their money? Will you go and figure it out and, fig and find out or find a job and work third shift at Burger King if you have to, in order to make sure they make their money back. And, uh, I think that's conveyed in, in a lot of the conversations that I, that I have because people know that that's my character. So it's, um, it, it makes it easier to raise money when, when you know what you're talking about and when you then have the confidence um, to go out and do that. I love that, man. You were one of the first people that I heard phrase it like that when you said, I'd be willing to work third shift at McDonald's to pay my investors back. And I know the first time we met, you and I had talked about some of the properties that I was in that I wound up forking over a ton of money out of my own pocket to take care of the investors for something mm -hmm. that was not my fault, but it became my responsibility because... I am a big believer that your reputation is everything in this business. And the way you get into real estate and stay in real estate is by doing the right thing and having integrity. And unfortunately I have found that most people just don't, they they're good when things are good. And then when things are bad, they don't want to have those conversations. They want to hide from it. Whereas I see guys like you guys, like Mark Evans, they don't run from bad news. You search for problems, you fix things and mm -hmm. you have a great reputation because of that. And I love your approach that 
I've watched people just ask you questions and I've watched you deal with investors and with students of all levels. And you come from such a place of educating, you don't dodge the answers, you give it to them straight. And at some point when people realize, like you said, the confidence in you and all the things it is, it's just easier to say, you know what, I'll just, I'd rather you just do this for me and I'll just learn it while you do it. You know, I, I see a lot of people that they almost don't want to give away that information because it's, well, now they think they're going to go do them themselves where they don't want to go put those 10,000 hours in that you've already put in. That's a benefit. That's huge. Yeah, man. Majority of the people I buy my properties from either mom and pop sellers. They've owned it for 20, 30 years. They sucked all the cash out of it. They, you know, they don't have any money. They're not bankable in order to go out and put new financing on it. And the property's falling apart. And so uh, you can only do that for so long before it just, you know, falls apart, the city's on your tail and you just got to sell it. So that's one of the people that I buy properties from. But the other one is like you're saying, smart entrepreneurs, you know, people who have made a lot of money in other capacities and they, they thought they can go do it on their own without going through the learning curve. And then all of a sudden, you know, what happens is they go through the learning curve in a big way on a big property and they lose a lot of money. And they're like, I don't need to go through this. Let me just go and invest with somebody else passively. And then I know my money's safe, right? And so I, I see a lot of people, I hope if, if anybody comes out to any of my events or I meet them and I inspire them to go out and buy real estate, that's awesome. If they want to go do it on their own, I wish them the absolute best of luck. The reality is, dude, there's a lot of stuff. I've gotten you know, punched in the gut over and over and over and over and over again over the years. And the reason I've had the success that I have is just because I stay with it. And I've learned so much from being punched in the gut so many times. Um, that now you can't pull one over on me, right? Like now I know what to look for in due diligence. Now I know uh, how to how to structure these loans with business partners and how to set proper expectations with my investors and how to line up financing and how to put, put different uh, contracts together with my project managers and my general contractors to ensure that everything is done on time, on budget. And um, because I've lost money in every single one of those aspects in the past, you know, it's caused tremendous stress and, and heartache um, because I didn't do those things in the, in the past. But, uh, you know, you stick with this long enough, you end up learning enough. And I try to convey that message to a lot of people who have access to money that want to go out and do this themselves. You know, and it's kind of like, maybe they look at it like, Hey, I'm asking the barber if I need a haircut, you know, mm -hmm. like, of course the barber is going to tell you, you need a haircut, right? Because they're the barber and they're going to get paid if you get a haircut. And so I, I try to educate people. So it's not coming off like that, that I just want them to passively invest with me. That's not the case at all. It's just, I don't want them to lose money and then be so salty over real estate that they never then go and reinvest uh, in their own projects or in projects with me or whatever. So um, I try to partner up with people first and let, I say, Hey, listen, let's get you educated on this whole thing and uh, let's do a deal passively together. So you don't get kicked in the teeth. Like, like I had for a decade, um, before I got to this point. Um, uh, but you know, like, dude, we live in this, this world of, of instant success. You know, people don't see the past 11, 12 years of me, you know, struggling and trying to figure this whole thing out. And they see, you know, instant rice and instant pudding mm -hmm. and they think instant success, right? Dude, I've been in business for 11, 12 years. I've only been good at it for the past like two or three years, right? So because I went through all the learning curves, but you can't get really, really good at it unless you're bad at it first. So, um, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's trying to educate people. I, I don't come from a, a scarcity mindset where I'm worried about somebody else buying property. I think there's plenty of property out there. There are, you know, millions and millions of apartment buildings. There's over, oh, there's something like 50,000 buildings that are over a hundred units alone. Not to mention all the ones that are 70, 80, like 99 units or, or eight units or five units or whatever. Like there's millions of those. And so 
there's, you don't need to buy 10,000 units in order to get rich. You need to buy one unit a year or one building a year for, uh, I don't know, five years in a row. You'll be sitting on multiple millions of dollars liquid. You'll have, you know, three, four, $500,000 a year coming in passively for you. Tenants paying down your principal and, you know, sit, sit on it for the next 25 years. And all of a sudden you own, uh, I don't know, 20, $30 million worth of property free and clear, you know? And so that's by buying one 48 unit apartment building for five years in a row. Like that's not really working that hard. So to think that there's millions of apartment buildings out there that you can then dive into, I don't think I'm, I'm educating, uh, any sort of, of, uh, competition. And as you had mentioned, Nick, like by, by educating people, I think it actually creates more, more options. You know, now people say, Hey, listen, I do like this aspect, but I'm, but I'm not good at these different types of, of investing. I can't raise money or I don't, I don't have the balance sheet. So maybe I bring in Tim for these things and then I can handle project management and find the deals. And then we bring in another person who can bring capital and whatever that looks like. Um, and it's a way that, that you can get involved in more projects without actually taking on more overhead or more responsibility or having to do stuff that you don't like to do or you're not good at. And uh, you've heard me say this before, but it's better to have 25% of a watermelon than 100% of a grape. You touched on that there. I know you had a background. You used to live in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how and why you transitioned out of the single family stuff you were doing and into commercial and some of the benefits of, I, I know you keep saying you probably will never go back to residential where I see a lot of people now that are, are asking me like, Hey, I want to go buy a, a single family home. And, and my take on it is, you know, why buy the single family home now at the height of the market when you could probably, when the market turns, pick that same property up for a lot cheaper. And again, if you're going to put that money in, I don't see somebody's lifestyle changing from buying one single family home rental this year, like maybe over five, six, seven years, you get the equity. Whereas you buy one apartment building one year and literally your life can look completely different, which I just mm-hmm. saw you post. It was like three students and it was like all three of them were, and this guy just retired and this one just quit his job. Yep. It's their first deal. Like that's a, a huge yep. thing. Where did you make that shift? Cause it took me probably eight, eight and a half years of residential to finally get the courage to jump into multifamily. And like you said, once I did, I was like, man, I wish I did this. <laughs> you know, but, but it's hard to say though, right? Cause we both started in residential and if we didn't start in residential, would we know what we know about commercial the same way? You know? So it's like, it's hard for me to look at it with a lens of, of theory versus just actual practicality, which is, which is where I, I got my start. So uh, when I lived in New York, I moved out to New York in 2007 after I graduated from college <clears throat> and I became a commercial real estate broker. And so I'd, I'd do leasing for the most part. And I'd, I'd lease out retail spaces in Manhattan, uh, lived in Park Slope, Brooklyn, worked up, up in uh, Chelsea area was my office. And so I, I go around, I had some listings and there was, there was a listing at, at Bleecker and Thompson in the village. And it was uh, 400 square feet. We signed a lease for $10,000 a month with a 4% annual escalation on a 12 year term for like a falafel shop or something. I couldn't even believe it. And I was like, and I did the math on this because I'm getting paid based on the entire lease term, right? And so I'm doing the math on this. I'm like, this guy's going to make almost $2 million. The landlord is going to make almost $2 million over the next 12 years for doing something at one point in time. And I really got educated on the whole like residual income versus transactional income. Transactional income, you do something once, you get paid on it one time, you got to go do it again to get paid on it again. Residual income, you do something one time, you get paid on it over and over and over and over and over again, right? And so <clears throat> I think a lot of us get involved in real estate for that 
the allure of residual income and passive income. Um, but then we all get stuck doing the transactional stuff and including me, I was wholesaling houses. I was flipping retail, you know, the HGTV kind of houses. I got into turnkey, which is, you know, buying single families, fixing them up, selling them to somebody who wants to hold it for passive income. But again, then the, the, the scalability was never really there unless you built a business that was scalable. And, um, I, I, had some partners back in the day where about six, seven years ago, where we bought a couple of small apartment buildings, actually built up a portfolio, about 150 units um, over the course of a few years. And then that partnership went south. We had to liquidate everything. And I had a couple bucks and I invested it in some other apartment buildings and helped raise money for some other operators on apartment buildings. And, um, and at the same time, I was, I was flipping a hundred houses a year and trying to build up my team on the transactional side. And, uh, yeah, about a year and a half, maybe almost two years ago, I sat back and I looked at my portfolio and I'm like, you know, my net worth is 90% coming from apartments, but it's only 10% of my time. So like, what if I dedicated my time to only buying more apartment buildings? Like what could that look like? And I was at almost 400 units like two years ago. And, uh, and then I, I walked in my office, it was, I was on vacation for like two weeks and I walked in my office and I told the team, like, listen, we're not buying single family anymore. We're only buying apartment buildings. So my acquisitions guy, instead of looking at houses, he looked at apartments, my project manager, instead of renovating houses, he started renovating apartments. My disposition guy, instead of selling houses, he started managing the management company and <clears throat> being like our asset manager. So I think it was a massive mindset shift, uh, but it was only a little, a small pivot actually in my business. And so I referred off all the single family stuff that came in, in the pipeline. We finished anything that was already, we already owned. Um, and we flipped all those things. And then we only looked at apartment buildings. And it's amazing when you when you, when you make that sort of declaration to the universe, how the universe then responds, where all the only things that we saw were apartment buildings. The next deal we did was an 11 unit apartment building that it needed a boatload of renovations. So we decided not to take it down on ourselves, but we wholesaled it, made a hundred thousand dollar wholesale fee, you know, boom. And I was scrambling to make five to $10,000 wholesale fees before I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then, uh, and then I contracted a 74 unit and then I contracted a 48 unit. Then I contracted a 20 unit and I ended up taking all these down. And then all of a sudden I'm at whatever, 600 some units. And, um, and then a 700 unit portfolio comes across my plate. So I ended up buying that, you know, and now all of a sudden I'm at 1300 units or something like that now. And when you own a thousand plus units, now you can qualify to go buy another thousand units. And it's crazy the way that like everything compounds, um, by, by continuing to grow it that way. And, uh, so, you know, today I'm at uh, 2000 units and I have, uh, another 400 some that I'm or 2,100 units. And I got another 400 some that I'm closing on this month. So I'll be at 2,500 units. Um, and that's just by making that, that declaration. So, um, you know, it, 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 again, it's a big mindset shift. Could I get here if I didn't have the experience in the single family? I don't know. I think there's definitely some things that I learned in the single family side. Um, it's not to say that you couldn't jump directly into multifamily though, as long as you're partnered with the right people. You know, like, like there's somebody who can, who, one of the people that you just talked about has never done a multifamily deal in his entire life has only done single family rentals. And, uh, I'm able to bring him into a deal. He can focus on more of the operation side of things. I'm able to make sure that he doesn't trip and fall and stumble and, uh, and mess this thing up. So he knows it's almost like a, a safety net by having me involved and my team involved. And, uh, we're able to put all the different pieces and parts and people in place where now we can all have a lot of success. And so you can get involved in multifamily stuff sooner. Just make sure you're partnered up with people that know what the hell they're doing. Um, or 
you know, you're, you can go through the learning curve on the single family and then just kind of gradually scale up. It's just, you're going to pay for the education one way or another, either you're going to pay for it by going out to a course and, or, or paying for it in equity and partnering up with somebody else and bringing them into your deal. But that's less expensive and it's a lot faster that you're able to learn. The more expensive and the longer term is by going through these learning curves yourself and trying to figure it out yourself and losing money and, you know, getting taken advantage of by contractors and by tenants and by cities and all these other things. Um, you can do it that way. And it, and it, initially it seems like it's less expensive, but the reality is it's much more expensive and it takes a much longer time frame versus fast tracking it by either joining uh, like a mastermind or finding a mentor or going out to, a, to an event and just like getting that knowledge and soaking it all in uh, that way. So um, again, I did it the hard way. It's not to say that, that, that you couldn't get there because obviously it got me here, but um, you know, if I could do it again, the smart way, I, I'd, I'd prefer to partner up with somebody who can really take me under their wing and, and show me the ropes. I could not agree with you more, man. If I would have had a, a partner like you for my first deal, things would have gotten a lot different, but it's again, you know, I, I always use the analogy of black belts. When I, I, I tell people when I roll with black belts, they're not tapping me out with a lot of stuff I've never seen before. They're just thinking so many steps ahead that I can't even think like that because they've been through that sequence yeah. so many times. And ever since you know, I started getting into things, I, I always just want to find the black belts. I don't want to take those bumps and bruises that they just spent 10 years taking. So, you know, partnering up with somebody like you that has their black belt is really just the, the best way to do it. And it, it's interesting to watch like some people that they, they count every penny and they try and take shortcuts or hire the person who will do the same thing for half the price. And then they get upset six months later when they didn't get the value out of that. And you really get what you yep. pay for. And, I, and I've heard that a lot from you and from, um, from Mark Evans about like, you know, don't short yep. yourself and build a business and hire the people, put the right people in. And you're somebody who I think is really great at that uh, for your delegation. It seems like you have a great team around you. Obviously you have properties all over the country how do you how do you manage a lot of that stuff with all these different things going on and what are some of the things you look for let's say you're starting out fresh like what would be your first hire what would you have them do and when would you start to expand and and how do you handle some of that stuff like for instance i just fired one of my property managers and one of the things i i always say is that i've never regretted firing somebody i have often regretted not firing them sooner and once it happens so i was like man so i just fired my property manager last week and she went and she gave out my personal cell phone number to the tenants. And then they started calling me and I was like, but as I started taking the calls, which of course I didn't want to do, but I was like, well, now I have to take these. I, I got the new manager in there and they started telling me some of the things, you know, Hey, we didn't get this done. We didn't get this done. We didn't get this done. So obviously I, I was glad because it turned out she was not giving me the real story and she was lying to me saying yeah. everything was fine. And then she was lying to the tenants saying that I was the bad guy that wouldn't send the money to fix this stuff. But I was yeah. glad that I got caught then rather than if it was six months from now and those, all those units would have been a total nightmare. So yeah. like, what do you do to handle those bad days? How do you find out about them? How do you manage them? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think probably the biggest business hurdle, one of the biggest business hurdles for me was always figuring out, like I, I never could figure out how people went from being a solopreneur to building a big like staff and having people that worked for them. And I was like, I, I remember banging my head against the wall for years trying to figure this out, burning the, the, the candle at both ends. Right. And, uh, trying to make ends meet and, 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 and I could never figure it out. You know why? Cause, cause ends don't meet, right. They're, that's why they're ends. So I was like, I'm trying to figure this thing out. I can't figure it out. I go to my first mastermind actually with Mark Evans, who you're talking about. And he's like, dude, you know, you need to hire an assistant ASAP. And I was like, I, 
you know, I made a hundred grand last year. I can't hire an assistant. It's going to cost me like 40 G's or something. That's like 40% of my income. And uh, he's like, first of all, no, it's not. It's like three grand a month and you can hire somebody for three grand a month. If it doesn't work after two months, you're risking $6,000 and you can say, Hey, it's not working out. He goes, but I'm telling you, you're going to see so much value in, in having that time back and have a lot of those things off your plate that you're gonna be able to go out and make way more money. And so I hired somebody in, in March of 2015, I made you know, a little over 120, $130,000 in 2014, my first year ever making six figures. So I'm like, I'm like paranoid when you don't, when you don't have money you don't come from money before and all of a sudden you make a little bit of money or you're, you're afraid to lose it. Right. Yeah. And so, um, out of blind faith and, and a ton of respect that I had for Mark, uh, I hired an assistant in March of 2015 after going to that event in February of 2015. And, um, in the next 10 months, I made almost $400,000 because I hired an assistant for $35,000 a year. And so, um, it's amazing when a lot of those things are taken off your plate, the, the non-revenue generating activities and the things you just don't like to do and you can staff out and give somebody else. And then that way you could focus on the revenue generating activities. And for real estate investors, that's three things. One is finding deals. Two is finding money. And three is finding buyers for your deals. Or if you're just buying and holding like I am, it's finding deals and finding money. That's it. You know, that's, that's the only two things that actually generate revenue. So it's making offers every single day and it's prospecting on, on private money. That's it. Um, so then I could focus on those two things and it opened up a world of opportunity because I wasn't counting receipts anymore. And I wasn't, you know, taking, taking deposits to the bank and I wasn't taking, you know, mail and delivering mail and licking envelopes and stuffing. And I wasn't doing all that stuff. I was able to focus on the revenue generating activities. And, um, and, and when you have revenue, revenue will solve all problems. Okay. So now you have money to then hire the next person. I was actually able to figure it out where I brought on an intern um, who I didn't pay other than like some commissions that was only paid if they performed. Right. So it was a way that I could bring on staff without actually having to bring on overhead and build my team that way. Um, so that was, that was helpful. And then I eventually brought them on, on payroll um, after they, they interned for me for about three, four months. Then I brought on another guy who was uh, like a project manager kind of person and, and handle some, some property management type stuff. Then I brought another guy who ended up being my COO. And that's somebody that I had, I had co-wholesaled with, um, and, and done a bunch of deals with for several years, knew this kid's work ethic from, uh, for the past 10 years, he was working two jobs all the time just to, you know, uh, keep ahead and try to like do more, but he wasn't working smarter. He was all, he was always working harder. And I thought I could help him work smarter but he's got the work ethic that I need in a, in a COO. And he complimented me very well. I'm good at doing the sales and, and, and being out and talking and building relationships and networking and raising money and those kinds of things. He was really good at the back office type stuff. And so I think any great business partnership <clears throat> or, um, you know, COO, CEO, type partnership, uh, you're able to complement each other and, and, you know, cover each other's weaknesses and, uh, the, the, you know, fill in those kind of gaps without dancing on each other's strengths. And, um, and that's been, that's been super powerful. So the stuff that I hate doing, he loves doing uh -huh. stuff that, that, that he hates doing, I love doing, and we're able to work with each other really, really well. And so he can manage the staff and, um, uh, you know, finding somebody who could handle that, that aspect of it has really 
you know, freed me up to go do more education stuff, which then brings in more deal flow and brings in more money flow. Right. Um, the, the way that I buy properties all around the country though, is by joint venturing with great operators. So we'll bring in a third party property management company to handle the local property management. Um, usually it's not a small local company or a realtor or anything like that. Usually it's a regional company or a national company that's managing tens of thousands of units. And the reason we do it that way is because one, they have an awesome reputation and what you'll find in really, really in every aspect of, of business, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with real estate right now is like as real estate investors, when you're starting out and you're not that good, usually, and I'm, and I'm, I don't want anybody to take offense to this, but usually you're doing residential stuff. Right. And then you're like, Hey, I can, I can wholesale. Cause I don't have any money. This is, this is my own life story. Right. I was wholesaling cause I didn't have any money and I got a little bit better and I started flipping houses. And then I was like, well, I don't like flipping houses cause they're vacant. So let me go flip rental properties. And I started flipping single family rentals. And if they didn't sell, I didn't care because they sell a cash flow. And I was like, what? Well, I can scale these a little bit, maybe do duplexes and quadplexes, right? Small multis. And then I get into apartment buildings and then bigger apartment buildings. And so I went through this general progress, this, this natural progression of getting into bigger um, and, and what I think is, is better assets. And I think a lot of other um, industries scale up. And, and once you get more sophisticated and wiser and, um, more, more professional and you know your shit, then all of a sudden, instead of flip, like, like as a contractor, you're not renovating single family houses, you know, eventually you, you have like a crew and then you, all of a sudden you're doing single family flips for, for investors. And then all of a sudden you're doing some small multi stuff. Maybe you start holding some stuff on your own and then you start partnering up or getting into the commercial realm. Cause you've got government, government contracts and bigger dollar amounts. And I find that the, the more sophisticated you get in business, the more, the more sophisticated, the, um, uh, asset class that you're getting into as well. Like all the smartest contractors I know are all in government contracting and commercial contracting. Uh, um, the biggest and most successful real estate investors that I know are all doing commercial real estate, you know? And I find the same thing with, with property management firms. They're not doing single family. Uh, and I owned a proper man property management company for residential single family houses. And I couldn't stand it cause it's not scalable. And I think once you understand business, then you, you get out of that. I just sold mine. And then you want to scale up into something bigger. That's more scalable. And so that's why we utilize these, these larger, um, regional and national property management companies. Cause they're really, really sharp business owners. They're really, they understand not only just the technical aspect of managing property, but the business aspect of being able to control that growth too. Right. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of businesses out there and it goes back to the parallel of understanding business and understanding the technical aspect of being a CEO and a COO. Like I understand business really well. That's why Warren, a guy like Warren Buffett can go into any business and he threw Berkshire Hathaway by everything and go in and put those same fundamental foundational type structures in place to make sure that, you know, your people, your marketing, your finances, your accounting, your HR, all that stuff is all, the same fundamentals, right? Regardless of what industry you're in. Uh, but then there's also the technical aspect. Somebody has to know how to swing a hammer. Somebody has to know how to manage property. Somebody has to know how to, how to raise money and structure, uh, you know, investment deals. Somebody has to know the technical aspect for every Steve jobs. There's a Steve Wozniak for every Bill Gates. There's a Paul Allen. I find that the, the smart and like these bigger, uh, contracting companies and these bigger property management companies are 
get into the bigger deals and you don't have to babysit them that much because they understand business. They understand long-term vision, what you were just talking about of it's not like what's going on right now. And I'm going to lose money on this deal and, and, and I'm not going to pay my investors. No, dude, you got to cover your investors and make sure you're, they're made whole. If you're in this for the long term. if you're in it for a quick buck, then yeah, you can, you can burn people and, but you're going to be out of business in 12 months, 18 months. Right? So you take care of your people. And, and that's what a lot of these bigger contractors and bigger management companies uh, do. They understand the long-term play. They you know, like they understand the long-term benefits of building relationships with guys like me that are going to buy tens of thousands of units and give them all my business, you know, cause they're going to build, it's going to build their business too. And so they do the right thing, I guess is what I'm trying to get to is you, you, you're dealing with a more sophisticated property manager, a more sophisticated contractor, more sophisticated joint venture partners when you're doing bigger deals because that's where the most sophisticated people really hang out. And again, I don't mean this offensively for anybody doing residential or single family. It's just, it's just easier to do bigger deals. It's easier to get financing. It's you're dealing with more professional people who you don't have to babysit. And because of it, you can build it up bigger. It's dude. I, I think it's one of the reasons why the rich grow richer is because they're not banging their head against the wall with small goofy shit that they got to babysit all the time. It's actually easier to do bigger deals as weird as that sounds. Um, and they're able to do more deals because it's easier doing bigger deals than it is to do small deals. So, um, that's, that's how I've been able to grow pretty substantially is by partnering up with big mindset type people who understand business and then have the technical skill or have the, uh, have people on their team with the technical skill on how to manage construction, manage properties, uh, handle it that way. So it allows me to then go do what I'm really good at, which is finding more deals and finding more money. And that's what we've been able to do, man. Nice. I love that. And, uh, what are you doing with the, the property managers? How do you set that up? Because I've seen some of them that, are hesitant to come on until the property is stabilized. What type of things do you put in place to bring them on while you're getting them a building that's maybe, you know, 50% or less occupied? Do you change the way you pay them or, or scale that as they fill it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be on a, on a per deal type basis. Um, I'm, I'm closing on 200 units in, uh, in Oklahoma actually next week. And so on those 200 units, it's about 80, 85% occupied, stabilized. So it's actually decently stabilized. Management's willing to come on from day one. We're going to go and do a whole bunch of exterior improvements. Uh, we're going to make uh, renovations to all the vacant units, get all those filled up. We're going to bump up rents a little bit and there's going to be some natural um, tenants that move out. Other people are going to sign leases and they're going to be cool with it. We're going to renovate those, those recently vacated units and just stabilize it with the management company in place. And for me, I found that in life and in business, it's all about expectations. Like you got to set proper expectations from the very front. Here's what, here's what's going on. Here's my responsibilities. Here's your responsibilities. Here's the, the, the stuff we're going to have to deal with or stuff that we have to work through, um, together, you know, any, any maintenance stuff for occupied units that goes to the management company anything that's vacant or exterior or common areas that comes to my project manager, my joint venture partner who handles all that stuff. So that gives a very clear delineation of who handles what. Then when a unit goes vacant, my project manager comes in, renovates all those, all those units. And we do it kind of in like tranches and phases. Um, so anytime a unit goes vacant, pretty much in the first year, we come in and do that. And, uh, it goes, it goes back like, what, what do you typically pay for a single family property management company? Um, like, like what's the typical fees? Eight, 10%. Yeah. Eight to 10%. I'm paying three and a half percent with no additional fees on 200 units. That's crazy. 
It gives you more ability to make more money because it's more scalable, right? And you're paying less because there's so many more units. So I pay three and a half percent. And then there's like a nominal, I don't know, a dollar per unit per month or buck 50 per unit per month on uh, like a, a software fee. Otherwise there's no leasing fees. There's no bill pay fees. There's no administrative fees. There's nothing like, like I have another, uh, my residential company, they used to charge me for, uh, um, for mileage to go out to properties. I understand why you cannot get ahead in the residential realm, like because it's set up to just nickel and dime you until you get up into these bigger, larger projects. And then, uh, then it makes a lot more sense to do those because like the fees come down, you can make more income, your, your expenses are actually less, which gives you more of a spread at the end of the day. And uh, financing is easier. People are more sophisticated and more professional. And, um, it's just easier to make money on bigger deals, dude, as crazy as that sounds. No, I totally it's get counterintuitive it. to what we grew up with, right? Like, but no, start small, you know, you fail small if you, if you mess up and you know, like the, the small thinking mindset, the small thinking mentality is like a poison that, that I don't, I don't know where it came from, but probably in school, you know, teaching me to go be an employee for somebody else. And, uh, the whole Henry Ford type system was like, Hey, go to school for eight hours. You get, you know, you get, um, trained by a bell that rings on when you can go yeah. somewhere, when you can go to the bathroom, when you can go to class, when you can go to reset, like go to lunch, like you're being taught from a very early age and being conditioned from a very early age on what you can do and what you can't do. And the type of ants marching, you know, type of uh, mindset that they try to put you in. So that way you can go get a job working in a factory for somebody else, eight hours a day. And you're already conditioned to do that every day in and day out. And so, um, when I kind of learned that and I was like aware that, Oh my God, that's what's going on. It like, uh, it was like, it was like revolutionary to me. I was like, no, I'm going to revolt and I'm going to go the other way. And I'm going to be as much of an entrepreneur and, and stir up the system as much as I possibly can. And, um, you know, my kids are, I got my daughter's gonna be four this weekend and my son will be two this summer. And, um, I'm like, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, we, we cannot send them to traditional schools. I, I won't do it. Like, I want to educate them. I want to, I want to take them around the world and show them, you know, Rome instead of reading about Rome in a book. Right. And I want to show them the national parks and, and hike the national parks versus reading about it in a book and seeing some pictures. And I want to bring a tutor on to teach them, uh, you know, all the different mathematics and science and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I want to teach them how to like think critically and how to problem solve and how to be resourceful and how to, um, you know, think in more of an achievement type mindset. And I think it's just going to set them up better. So, um, yeah, anyways, I don't know how I got off that tangent, but no, that great, man. I love that. <laughs> where, where did that come from? I mean, that, that's really what I look for in people when I talk to them is the, the podcast is called the a game podcast. Cause I just see people that like, like you, you say, I say, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I've heard you say, how you do the small stuff. It's how you do the big stuff. Have you always just been like that? Because again, I feel like it's the exception that most people try and do the bare minimum. Whereas people like you, people like myself, people like the Mark Evans of the world, they're always just whatever it is. They're giving it their best. They're doing their best. Have you always been like that? Or did that internal drive and, and, and keeping yourself to that high bar, come as like a result or reaction from something in the past? That's a really good question. Um, you know, you talk to people and some people are like entrepreneurs are born or, or, you know, they're trained, like, which one is it? Um, I do believe anybody could be an entrepreneur. Uh, but I think there's definitely like a different type of mindset and risk tolerance to like, uh, 
grow something really, really big and have like a, why not me attitude? It's, it's a little bit of both, I guess, to answer your question, you know, like, uh, I think when I was working for other people or let's say I had a job or it wasn't hundred percent mine, uh, dude, there were definitely things that I wanted to skimp on, right? There, I didn't want to give it a hundred percent, but I always worked harder than everybody else. And I always wanted to make sure that, um, nobody ever thought that I was skimping. But I, I think when you, when you, when you take ownership over something that you, that's your own, obviously you care more about it than something that's, that you don't own. Right. So that, that has, that has helped, um, take on even more, um, of an ownership type mentality and, and work even harder. Not saying I ever skimped on, on anything in the past. I was always really, really hard work and really made sure that I made a difference, um, and try to impact people positively. But, uh, I think, again, I think it goes back to like some, some conditioning maybe when we were younger of now, like you go work for somebody else and you go to a job for somebody else and you're not worthy. And like, and then all of a sudden it got to this point where like, I was just shoveling shit every single day in my, in, in my real estate business and trying to figure it out trying to get ahead. And I just feel like I got, dude, was a punching bag and hit from every single different direction. And I'm like, man, I, I understand I got to pay my dues, right? Everybody's like, you got to pay your dues. And, and I, and I do believe that. Um, but I, but it almost like was toxic in my mind where I didn't, I didn't think I deserved to be successful. Right. And then eventually it got to a point where I was like, dude, F this man, I've been shoveling shit for so long. Like it's my time. Like it's finally my turn. And it's, and it's hard to get to that point until you get like a little bit of success. And it wasn't until, until, you know, like 2014, 2015, 2016, where I started having more success. And I was like, you know what? I can do this. I, I am worthy of, of greatness and doing some bigger things. And, um, I don't need to wait for somebody else to anoint me as successful. I'm going to go out and take it for myself. And I understand the value I actually bring now to the table and I'm going to, I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to charge for it. I'm going to tell people, no, I'm, I'm worth this much equity in the deal. No, I'm worth this much compensation. If you, if you want to take up an hour of my time and it's going to take me away from my primary business and my, my kids and my family, then Hey, here's, here's what you're gonna have to pay me. It's gonna have to be a thousand dollars an hour, $2,000 an hour. And you know what happened is a lot of the people that we're just there to kind of like leech and suck time ended up going away. No problem. And then the other people who were worth my time, who were worth spending and building a relationship with ponied up a thousand bucks to talk to me for an hour. It was like, Holy shit. You know, it was, I, I, I couldn't believe that I was able to make that differential. And I think it goes back to the, just the mindset of, of getting to a point where it's like, why not me? Why isn't it like, if this guy can do it, I know I can do it. Like what, why does he deserve success and, and not me? Like, I know that I deserve that. And so it, it got to a point where me just kind of almost being fed up with not being successful. Um, that kind of pushed me over the edge to really ha start having a lot of success. Um, and, and, and I think success breeds more success and that, that success breeds more confidence, which then breeds more success. Right. And, um, yeah, that, and that really helped me go to that next level. I think big time over the past 24, 36 months. And, and you had mentioned my Facebook stuff, my social media stuff, like early on, yeah, I, I, I read a lot of books. Like uh, some of that content is, is mine. I made it up myself. A lot of it's regurgitated from success books, you know, successful. Um, I'm rereading think and grow rich right now. My notes on think and grow rich and how to win friends and influence people. And, um, you know, richest man of Babylon, I mentioned earlier and the magic of thinking big and all these different books. And there's different concepts in there that then all I did is I took those concepts and I, and I put it onto social media and then I just dove into it like a little bit more and like talked about maybe a story that, that, 
happened in my personal life that, that reflected from that. And, um, it just started attracting a lot of people. And then I got this natural following and they saw what I had going on. And then when, every time I posted something, people would be like, Hey, how do we partner up? Hey, how do I buy a deal from you? How do I sell a deal to you? How do we, uh, joint venture? How do I lend money to you? Or how do I pay you to coach me? And it went down this, this just, I don't even know how it happened, but it was just, you know, consistently posting and consistently wh whether you have success or you're interviewing people who are super successful. Like that's why a podcast is amazing. That's why Facebook lives are amazing. Um, a lot of people ask me like, dude, uh, you know, I'm not where you are, Tim. Like, how do I get there? It's like, dude, go start a podcast, go start a, um, a, just start interviewing people on Facebook live and give value somehow. And by you giving value one, it educates you. Or, or somebody else giving value on your, uh, your Facebook live or whatever. It educates you on that topic. And two, it sets you up kind of like running your own mastermind or set, you know, running your own meetup group. It creates an edification in you because you're the one who was able to bring these awesome speakers onto your show or onto your Facebook and, um, and deliver value to your followers through that, that realm. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, that's, that's the benefit of, or that's the, the secret to like really growing a social media or growing like uh, a lot of influence in the space. It's just giving as much value as humanly possible. Gary Vaynerchuk just wrote a book called, um, uh, jab, jab, right hook. And, uh, he wanted to call it jab, 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 right hook. And the publisher wouldn't let him. But the entire premise of that is you give, 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 and then ask. And, and by, by giving so much, people are like, but when you ask for something, people are like, you know, I, I I'm going to go buy it just because he's helped me out so much, or they, they've supported me so much. Or like, I've gotten so much out of this, or I'm going to go try to find some deals for this guy, or I'm going to go try to raise some money for this guy, or I'm going to go try to, uh, partner up or buy his book or, or whatever. And so it's all about giving value. I think that gives you a lot of credibility. It's, it gives you a lot of education, changes your mindset. Um, I'm more of a giving and, 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 you know, they say you get what you give, right? I actually think you, you, you get much more than what you give. Once you, once you hit that compound effect, that snowball and that, that you reach this certain threshold and you're, you get, you're over the hill, like it comes back in abundance in a big way. It's pretty wild, but you got to consistently give, 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 give. You're, you're like, dude, you work out all the time. Right. And so, um, you know what it's like, like if I want to go and lose a bunch of weight or if I want to go and start working out and I haven't been in a while, you go and push weights every single day for an hour or two hours every day. You do it, you're bleeding, you're sweating, you're crying, your muscles ache, everything, you can't even sleep because you're, you're, you're so sore. And after 30 days, you look at your body and dude, not a lot has changed, right? Like nobody can, nobody can really see a difference there. Like not even you. And you're like, holy cow, man, I've been doing this every day for 30 days. And you do it for another 30 days and for another 30 days. Finally, maybe you see a little bit more definition in your abs or a little bit more definition in your arms, or, uh, you step on the scale and you notice you're losing a little bit of weight, but nobody else notices, you know, only you notice it and you got to go do it again for another 30, 60, 90, not until 120, 180 days later, are people finally like, Nick, dude, you losing some weight, man. You look a little bit more trim, man. Hey dude, check out your, your, your puff, your chest puff out a little bit. And, and you're like, dude, I've been doing this for six months, for half of a year, every single day diligently. And it's not until 90, 120, 180 days later that that compound effect sets in that really you start seeing the results and everybody else starts seeing the results too. So I think that's why a lot of people bail on, on, 
anything that they start, you know, everybody's got the initiative to start, but there's no, there's no instant gratification. It goes back to that instant success. There's no instant gratification. They don't see it. And to stay is a much difficult than to start. Right. And so as long as you stay, like that's where the success happens. That's where like the, the real achievement and the growth occurs because everybody else bails and you see it all the time with kids jumping from job to job to job after a year or two years, they can't get ahead because they're starting pressing the reset button every 12 months. And like, you cannot do that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's more about the consistency over time. That's where real success occurs. It's not about somebody getting lucky or, or, um, you know, having the balls to take on a big project or, or doing this other, it's, it's just staying consistent over time and not going away and knowing that like, we're in real estate. It's the most tried and true investment vehicle and wealth building vehicle since the dawn of civilization. Like I know it's going to work. It was just a, ma- a matter of time until it really started compounding. And I hit that. And I think social media works that way. And the influence you get from social media, I think business and success works that way. Obviously health works that way. And a lot of these different things you got to dude. you just got to keep on priming the pump until actually the water starts flowing out and it takes a lot of primes once in a while. So, um, yeah, I don't know mindset stuff. I, th- I think that's, I think that's 90% of this whole game, man. It's just the mindset and, and sticking with it. And, uh, you know, obviously it comes with a lot of working hard and, and working smart at the same time, asking yourself good questions and, um, just it, pushing the limits, you know, I mean, it gets to a point where like this, this sign's coming down. And I have, I have this big wooden sign that's going to come over here. It's going to say, be your best you know, and it's not, doesn't, you don't have to be the best. <clears throat> you don't have to be the, uh, the best in everything you do, but you have to be your best. Like you, like I, I think we're given this opportunity and this talent and this, uh, uh, we have the ability to do more and be more and have more and give more. And, um, and I think if you're not taking that opportunity and utilizing it to the best of your, your, your potential, then I think you're wasting it. Right. I think when you have the ability to be great, you have the responsibility to be great. That was kind of a mindset shift. I always maybe had a little bit of it, but it really kind of compounded over the past few years. And, um, uh, you know, like I don't, I don't need the money anymore, but I still do it to go and inspire other people. So that way they can be like, Hey, it's possible. You know, this guy's able to do it. I know I could do it too. Um, so it's, it's more about inspiring others. Like I think you go through these different phases and first I need to take care of myself, you know, put the oxygen mask on myself and, and, uh, try to get myself successful and, and have some money. And then when, when you get there, uh, I think a lot of people put way too much gravity on material stuff. And then when they get the material stuff, they feel, they, they see how, underwhelming it is, I guess, and how it, it doesn't fulfill you, you know, it doesn't give you purpose. And so once you get there, you're like, ah, this is it. Well, what else can I do? You know, what, what, like what else can really inspire me? And, um, yeah, for me, it's, it's a little bit of, of, uh, the kids has helped a lot, but really just helping other people out too. You know, I know my kids are going to be fine. Right. So it's more of a, it's a bigger impact to me. Um, when I'm able to help somebody see outside of their current circumstances and see themselves as more than maybe how they can see themselves, how they can see themselves. Right. So that's, that's a big driver for me today. That's awesome, man. And it's funny because all the most successful people I know say exactly what you said, that the mindset is such an important piece. And anybody who new starts out, you tell them that and they roll their eyes like it's a bunch of crap. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, look at all the most successful people in anything. That's all the same foundations, you know? And um, before I let you go, you, I know you're probably sick to death of telling the story, but I just think it's so great because I, I think I remember when it was happening. I think it's how I actually started following you was you posting how, Hey, I got this great deal. And then all of a sudden it was, this guy just bailed on the deal. I got to find money. And it was almost like, 
all a 700 unit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you don't mind going through that, I just think that that's such an awesome story and such a great testament to you where most people in that situation would give up and you didn't, you rise to the occasion. And I think you want a lot of people over with that story, you know, and people were watching, I'm sure someone watching to see if hoping you don't get it. And the other half were like, kind of rude, like, I hope he does. But at the end of the day, I'm yeah. for it. Uh, I, um, yeah, it, that was, that was crazy. It was a 700 units that was doubling my portfolio, put me over a thousand units total. Um, and yeah, I, I had a buddy who just sold his, his company. Um, I don't know, put 20, 30 million bucks in his pocket and had invested a couple million dollars with me in a very short period of time. And so this deal pops up. I sent him a message. I'm like, Hey man, do you know anybody who might have 4 million bucks that they want to get involved in this? Um, partner up, we'll do whatever that looks like. He goes, hang on a second. He texts me back 30 minutes later. He goes, uh, yeah, I got it. I was like, how much? He's like, all of it, 4 million bucks. I was like, Oh, that happened in March. Okay. So my, my one phone call, I raised all 4 million bucks and it wasn't even a phone call. It was a text message and I was good to go. So I'm all, I'm all pumped up. I'm sitting on my hands for the next three months while my buddies, my JV partners doing all the due diligence on this thing. Loans all queued up. Everything's ready to go for closing on June 10th. And, uh, on, on June 10th, uh, no, on, on June, like two weeks prior to that, like the last week in May, I shoot him a message. I said, Hey man, just want to let you know we're, we're queuing up for, for a June 10th closing. So like two weeks out, uh, just want to make sure you got the 4 million ready and, and I'll get you the wire instructions whenever we're ready to close. And he, he shoots me back a message. He's like, Hey man, uh, so I, I don't have it all yet. And I was like, but, but in my speaking of my good ear, like what, what do you mean you don't have it all yet? And he goes, uh, he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm raising it. I'm launching this other business and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have the money. Uh, give me like two weeks. I was like, dude, we're closing in two weeks. What do you mean? He's like, no, no I'm, I'm going to Africa. So, so he tells me the backstory and, and the backstory is he's launching a cryptocurrency. People are going to buy these tokens and then he can then deploy the money, something like that. And, uh, it's, it's primarily through like African countries. Okay. So he goes, no, I'm going to Africa. I'm meeting with a whole bunch of high net worth individuals and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to have all this money. And, and all I hear is, dude, my buddies just got scammed into one of these Nigerian prince, <laughs> you know, things. So he got an email. Somebody told him to come to Africa. They can't get out of jail. They're going to give him a hundred million dollars. And, and, uh, he just needs to wire them 30 G's and that's it. You know? So that's what's going through my head. And I'm like, Oh my God. He goes, no, I'm going to the speaking engagement. I'm gonna go raise all the money and blah, blah, blah. So the Wednesday before closing, we're closing on a Monday. Okay. So this is five days before closing. He's supposed to be speaking at this event and have all these commitments. I'm texting him. He's seven hours ahead of me. I'm texting him as soon as I wake up Wednesday morning, it's a Wednesday afternoon, his time, right? Crickets. I don't hear anything all day. Thursday, I'm texting him. I don't hear anything all day. I'm sending him emails. I'm sending him text messages. I'm sending him WhatsApp messages. I'm sending him Facebook messages. I'm posting on his Facebook. Well, I'm reaching out to him any freaking way I possibly can. On Friday morning, I wake up to a message. He's like, Hey dude, I'm so sorry, but I don't have all the money. I was like, all right, man. Well, like, what, what are we looking at? How much you got? He goes, I don't have anything. Like, we had about 250, 300 grand up hard earnest money and into like loan applications and due diligence and all that stuff. So we're not getting, let's say $300,000 back. And, um, and like when that happens, it's Friday morning, I gotta, I gotta raise $4 million the next 48 hours to close on this thing on Monday. And there was a lot of, there's a lot riding on it. Right. So the broker brought us the deal. Um, it was through a broker and, they, we got the deal several million dollars below the highest bid because we said we were going to close. So the seller and the broker are like, Hey, we're looking at you to close. My, my, my buddy's got the lot, the loan lined up 
Like he took care of his part, you know, my, my commercial mortgage broker, my buddies down in Georgia, my joint venture partners, they did their part. They did all the physical due diligence. They got contractors ready to rip roofs off on Monday afternoon. Right. Um, Tim's the only guy who didn't fulfill his part. And so I'm, uh, you know, I'm super deflated. I'm like, what, what can we do? Like, like, okay. So I could walk away. I could lose $300,000. Uh, I'm, that's not palatable. I don't really like doing that, but if that's worst case scenario, okay. Uh, but I also lose a lot of face, which is, which is more of a worst case scenario, right? I lose a lot of credibility. Then it was like, okay, well maybe I can just delay closing. I can extend closing out another couple of weeks and blah, blah, blah. But again, I still lose face. I still lose a lot of credibility that the lender who's given us the primary loan never asked where the $4 million was coming from. They were always like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, they just assumed we had it. Okay. And so then that all of a sudden would raise a bunch of red flags and questions and start sourcing, um, uh, you know, it's just some issues. Right. And so we decided, um, we just need to go. I, I was like, I just gotta go and raise this freaking money somehow, some way. And so I, I made a list of everybody I've ever done business with who had like private money lenders, investors, all that kind of stuff. Um, I made a list of everybody who's ever had money, you know, that I knew had access to money, whether I borrowed it or not, any, any successful entrepreneurs, everybody, Facebook, friends, all, all that stuff. And so I, um, I put this list together and I started banging out text messages and emails and phone calls and, uh, to all these different people. Um, and then I started getting all these phone calls back. Like, Hey, send me more information, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I can't possibly answer all these phone calls. So I put a Dropbox together with all the due diligence information, underwriting, investment summary, uh, offering memorandum, all that different kind of stuff. And, um, and then I just sent everybody a link to the Dropbox. So if they had interest, boom, here's everything. It'll answer a lot of questions. And then if you're ready to write a check, let's, uh, let's talk further. I'll get you all the subscription agreement and PPM and all that stuff. So um, I ended up ended up banging up like all day, Friday, all day, Saturday. I slept for maybe two or three hours, you know, overnight. I was working the entire friggin' time. And it wasn't until Sunday where I started getting commitments start coming in. And one dude brought, you know, 200 grand. Another guy brought 200 grand. Another guy brought 600,000. Another guy brought 900,000. Another guy brought 1.5 million. Um, and I think there were some other speckled in there too. I, I brought a hundred of my own money. Like, you know, we were able to, my, my commercial mortgage broker waived his fee for a couple of months until we were able to get it all squared away. Like, so everybody's kind of working together and I was able to raise from six people, 4 million bucks. Nice. And, um, what I learned from that is, <clears throat> you know, one, the asset is, is the least of, of the, uh, of the concern. There's three things that people weigh if they're going to lend money to you. One is the asset probably, probably the least, but they do want to know what are they investing in and all that kind of stuff. Two is the return is the reward worth the risk, right? Or the perceived risk. And then three is the, the character of the borrower. It goes back to what we were talking about before the way you're able to raise money. The way I was able to raise 4 million bucks in 48 hours is because I've conveyed to people that I have the character to repay them regardless of what happens in this project. I will make sure that they get their money back no matter what, whether it's on this project, if this project goes South, I'm going to, I'm going to give them money from another project or a future project, or we're going to make sure they're, they're made whole no matter what. And because I've, I've built that type of reputation, I have, I was able to raise 4 million bucks in 48 hours. You know, the other thing I found is the people most likely to do business with you are people who have already done uh, business with you. 
So you've already gotten past the threshold of does this person have the character to repay me? Right. And so by going back to those people that have, like there was, there was one guy, I did a, a 60, no, it was a $40,000 deal, $160,000 deal and a $200,000 deal with done three deals, all small, you know, medium sized deals. He's the one who brought $1.5 million. You know, another guy did a $250,000 deal with, he brought $900,000. Um, Another guy wrote me a check for 600 grand and uh, wired it because I'd already done a couple other deals with him. Um, and so, you know, by, by, by doing deals, doing small deals, just building credibility with your private money lenders, dude, that, that goes a long way with raising money on future projects, especially when you get into a bind because um, they know that you're good for it. So if you can borrow money, even if it's a $25,000 loan and overpay, pay early, make sure you send them a thank you, like make sure you treat them really, really well. They will come in big when, uh, when the time comes in the future. So uh, that, was, that was a massive learning curve. And, and here's the other thing. Dude, it, because I reached out to all these people, all of a sudden I found out that money's all about timing, right? It, there was a lot of people who wanted to get involved, but they didn't have the liquidity. Like they, their money was tied up in another project. They'd be li- getting liquid over the summertime. And because I reached out to all these people, they're like, damn, dude, I didn't know you were doing deals like that. That's how you structure them. I love it. I'll tell you what, man, let me know on the next one because I'm going to be more liquid in August. I'm going to be more liquid in October. Like keep me posting. And all of a sudden it opened up so many doors because I reached out to everybody and told them I had deals in the, in the pipeline that then dude, it, it has not been an issue of me raising money ever since then, because I, I developed conversations, uh, from the get go with all these different people. So dude, you gotta be reaching out to everybody, letting them know what you do, how you do it, how you structure it and doing small deals, you know, will will gain a lot of credibility, um, with your private money lenders. So it's been, uh, that, that was a crazy event. And you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that seems like a setback initially. And it's really a setup for something really, really big in the future. And it was, uh, it was an awesome, uh, experience. So. That's awesome, man. I, I love your mindset. I love your work ethic. I love all the stuff you're doing. I love all the stuff you're teaching, man. I really appreciate, appreciate you giving that. me the time. Yeah. I don't want to take up too much of your day. I know you're a busy guy, but, uh, is there anything you want to, you want to plug? Is there any way you want people to contact you, get in touch with you? you know, things that you're doing, stuff you got going on. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, I do the teaching stuff, commercialempire.com. If you guys have an inter- any interest in kind of leveraging up into apartment buildings or uh, learning how to, how to properly invest in apartment buildings passively or learning how to invest actively in apartment buildings, it's good for both of those. I have an event in May, at the end of May um, in Cleveland. Uh, where I'm from. And so, uh, we got that. And then, you know, my, my website, if anybody want, ever wants to learn about the real estate side on, on the commercial, go to Cleveland, C L E turnkey.com. And that's my, uh, that's my, uh, my, you know, my investment website. You can learn a little bit more about us and company and all that stuff, but really like I'm pretty active on, on Facebook, right? That's how we connected. And, um, that's probably the best way to connect with me is just, uh, hit me up on Facebook, send me a message or send me a friend request. And, uh, uh, I, I put out a lot of free content on there and I'm always trying to give as much value as I possibly can. And so, um, yeah, if there's, if there's anybody who wants to connect, Facebook's probably the best avenue for that. And uh, other than that, dude, I appreciate you. I appreciate all the value that you give. I appreciate all the, uh, the difference that you're making out there. And, um, Dude, it's like, it's going to be crazy to, to see how much this compounds for you over the next 12, 24 months. So I'm excited for you too, Nick. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving me the inspiration to start doing more, man. So I'll let you go about your day. Well, congrats on everything, man. And again, thanks for all your time. I'll send you a link for all this. It'll post your, uh, your social media stuff too when we launch it. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks, man. Have a great day. 
Arbeit. Sehr gut.